Okay. I like that Maxine says, forget the lullabies. I want to rock for Jesus. Yeah. It's wonderful. Before we begin, I just want to share with you something that we were meditating on, learning about, going through last Sunday night, and it's in First Chronicles, and I told everyone last Sunday night that whoever made it through the lesson, the first nine chapters of First Chronicles, nothing but a, uh, a series of genealogies, I told them they'd get a gold star for making it, so I am going to bring gold stars tonight <laughs> to pass out to everyone who was there. But you know, if you weren't there, I'm not going to give you one. But if you read the, if you get the CD and listen to it, come and I'll give you a gold star. But nine chapters of genealogies, I mean, that is really heavy. Anyway, I wanted to go through, and I'm looking for it now, where are you? The verse that I'm looking for. We were in First Chronicles chapter four, and in First Chronicles chapter four, you don't have to go there if you don't want to. But if you do, that's way to the left of where we're going to be today. But in First Chronicles chapter four, uh, Jabez, who is in the tribe of Judah, and they're giving a genealogy of of Judah. Uh, he all of a sudden, this is the cool thing about the Holy Spirit. So oftentimes, there'll be this genealogy of all these names, and all of a sudden there'll be some kind of commentary, something that departs from just a bunch of hard-to-pronounce names. By the way, those, some of those hard-to-pronounce names, there's just so much we can learn from them. I don't want to put that light, make too much light of that. But uh, as we are going through these genealogies, we read the prayer of Jabez. Now, the prayer of Jabez, in my opinion, has been grossly commercialized, and it's been put into books and mass-marketed and... I think uh, is now being used in a way that it was never, ever intended to. Unfortunately, tragically, that happens so often uh, with so many things that um, are of God. But it says that Jabez, verse 9 of 1 Chronicles 4, was more honorable than his brothers. It says that his mother called his name Jabez, which means a sorrow, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the name of Israel. And it says, it, it, it recites the prayer. It says, O oh Lord, that you would bless me indeed. Now, the, the prayer has been mass marketed because under a sort of a twisted definition of what it means to be blessed. But we'll talk about what it really means to be blessed in a second. But it says, O oh Lord, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory or enlarge my borders, that your hand would be with me so that you would keep me from evil that I might not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. And it says that, um, that he became great. In fact, a city was named after him. Later on in the chapter, it talks about the tribe of Simeon. And it goes through the genealogy of Simeon. And it says that they grew so much that uh, their boundaries, their borders, could not keep them in. And so they looked beyond their borders. And they saw the Amalekites on the other side of their borders. And the Amalekites were dwelling in a place that was rich, verse 40 of chapter 4. Good pasture, broad, quiet, peaceful. Uh, in this general area, the Amalekites were living. Now, the Amalekites were some of the most evil people who ever lived. And I won't begin the long history of uh, what they did in the land, how they polluted the land by the things that they did. But suffice it to say that the Lord told King Saul to wipe them out completely. It was that bad. And Saul, for those of you who know the story, did not obey the Lord. 
and he left some Amalekites, and the Amalekites actually came back to kill Saul himself. Amalekites in the Bible are a type of the flesh. They're a type of Satan, a type of, uh, a, a, a type of the flesh meaning something that if we don't kill it, it'll come back and kill us. And so the Simeonites saw beyond their borders, there were the Amalekites, and it says they went out and they destroyed the Amalekites and took over that pasture. So I want to put those two things together. One, the prayer of Jabez, where Jabez said, Lord, enlarge my borders. Enlarge my coasts. Some translations say enlarge my coasts. Expand my territory. And the Simeonites did really the same thing. They looked beyond their borders and they saw something out there which they took for themselves. And it wasn't a bad thing because it was an area occupied by the Amalekites who were just sowing evil. Now, that prayer of Jabez where he uh, says to the Lord, you know, God, enlarge my, my borders... If a righteous man or woman prays that prayer, they're not requesting that their territory or their borders, that the opportunities of their life be expanded just so they can sort of sit back, get on a lounge chair, and live in Fat City or whatever and say, hmm, you know, bring me some of those new plums from the plum trees that, you know, were in the territory that the Lord just gave. It's not about prospering, so we just grow fat and comfortable. The prayer is all about a man or woman whose heart is after God and uh, uh, that they say, they look at their own life, they look at the boundaries that they're in and they say, you know, Lord, I'm getting too comfortable. And they allow the Lord to call them out of their borders to expand. and, and, And when we ask the Lord that, he'll always be faithful But what is he going to call us into? No, it's not an area where, oh, we're just going to be more comfortable and sort of more prosperous so we can uh, grow sort of fat and happy. No, it's to an area, as the Simeonites found, that has been taken over by the enemy. Jesus Christ, it says in 1 John, came to destroy the works of Satan. And so I want to make a challenge to everyone in this room. You know, 2008 is going to be an exciting time for our church body for a number of reasons. One, we are starting up a brand new Bible club to children that we're going to be administering over in the projects just about a half a mile away from here, some of the worst projects in Boston. I don't know about you, but that's outside of my borders. We're also going to be going on a mission trip to Haiti. (laughs) I don't know about you. That's beyond my borders. We're taking another mission trip to, uh, to Peru. We're also going on the radio a half hour a day starting December 31st from 2 to 2.30, W-E-Z-E. All of that beyond our borders. And I feel like the Lord is calling us uh, out. He's calling you out, out of your comfort zone, out of my comfort zone. We get awfully comfortable within our own little borders. So I'd like just everyone to be praying about these opportunities. Is God calling you there? The, the Bible study, the Bible club that we're going to be having over in the projects. By the way, I am confident that it'll be, we are going to have a situation which is going to be uh, safe. You know, all things considered, it'll be safe. Of course, we rely on the, on the arm of the Lord for that mostly, but uh, it, you know, we've mapped it out. We've spied it out. It's, it'll be uh, uh, an environment which I'm comfortable with people going into. But uh, we're going to start that out by having an outreach to just the projects. And 
we're going to have an outreach to the projects that um, it's going to be on a Saturday, probably a Saturday morning, and we'd like as many people here in this room in the church body to come out and just help us out. And, and what we're going to do is going to be food and some games and some other things, introducing this community over there, which we've never been in, uh, to the church body. And then inviting the kids to the following Friday uh, to start up a Bible program that we're going to have every Friday at 3.30 to 5. And so I'm really excited about that. But guess what? Guess who owns that whole area? Satan does. I've spent time over there. Actually, some of us have spent a lot of time over there in the project nearby. And, and it's just such a tragedy what is happening in the lives of the children over there, what they're being exposed to. The Word of God can save them out of all of it. It's a small thing for the Lord to do. So I'd just like all of you to, uh, we are going to have a sign-up sheet just for that one day, uh, just for that one day outreach, but I'd like all of you to just to pray about all these things, the mission strips, the, uh, the, the, the outreach that we're going to have on, on Friday afternoon. It says that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Why? Because he prayed Lord, bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, enlarge my coasts. And for all of you who have been through our study of the Old Testament, any time the Israelites went into a new area, it was always a battle, always. It wasn't for the, the blessing supremely was about getting to know the Lord better, getting to know his power better, getting to know worship better getting to know service better. That's what it was all about. And so, if you can just pray with me, because I'll be praying just for my own, my, myself, what my role is in these things. That would be wonderful. So, but this morning we're in 2 Corinthians. If you could rise as we read God's Word. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you need a Bible, please... Raise your hand if you need a Bible. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse six says, Now if we are afflicted. It is for your consolation, the Greek word there, comfort, consolation, interchangeable. It is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Skip down to verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant brethren of our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Now just skip down to verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Moreover, I call God as my witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that word. 
that by our faith we stand. Your word says our faith is a gift. We thank you for that gift, Lord. I just pray, Father, that you'd stir in our hearts, Lord, that gratitude, that joy, that thanksgiving. Father, that just comes about even as we start growing in grace, understanding your grace and knowing you, Lord. We come here this morning to know you more, to get to know you more, Lord. Father, please speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So this chapter, chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, has an awful lot to teach us about suffering, the suffering of just of affliction, the affliction of life, the temptation of life, sometimes the, the, the pain of life. Why is there suffering in our life with Christ? Why are we supposed to, what are we supposed to do about it? Where is God in the midst of it? Why does he allow us, allow it? But uh, last week we spent most of our time in verses 3 and 4 of this chapter. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God is the God of all comfort. underscore that word all in our suffering, our pain, our affliction, our temptation. Some of you are younger and you're thinking, well, I haven't had a lot, of, a lot of pain. I haven't had a lot of suffering. Well, I know one thing you do have. You have temptation. Temptation is a form of suffering. But God is the God of all comfort in our suffering. In the Bible, God is identified. He's known. Not by the kind of name that you and I have. He is known by names which speak to who He is. He's called in Exodus 15.26, Jehovah Rapha, which means I'm the God who heals you. He is called in Genesis 22.14, Jehovah Jireh. I'm the God who provides. He is called in Exodus 17.15, Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord our banner or the Lord our fighter. Uh, if you have been born again, the Bible says you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. If you've been born again, the Bible says that the battle of life is not yours, it's God's. He's Jehovah Nisi. He is called in Psalm uh, 91. He's called El Shaddai. The God who is all-powerful. And here in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, he is called in Greek, Theos pas paraklasis. That's Greek for the God of all comfort. God is the God of all comfort. It says all comfort. He doesn't want you seeking from anything else or anyone else what only he can provide. And so here in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, we actually uh, learn here, and we learned last week, that God, he is so jealous of his relationship with you. By the way, that's another name of God, Exodus thirty-four fourteen. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous a jealous God, Jehovah, Kana. His name is Jealous. God is so jealous of His relationship with you that He will remove every source of comfort in your life. Knowing that every other source of comfort was only going to bring you in grief in the end. And they're only going to inhibit you from getting to know you more. It says in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, For we do, not know, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Why? 
that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So here you have it. God removed from Paul every source of comfort in his life so that Paul would not trust in himself, so that he would, uh, would not seek comfort in himself. Ah, that's where we go so often, but it's the most miserable sort of comfort when we seek comfort in ourselves. There's just, when we comfort, when our, we seek comfort from our own soul, we get a self-pity. And it turns us into ugly people. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but God removed uh, from Paul every source of comfort so that he would not trust in himself, but he'd seek uh, he, that he'd trust in God who raises the dead. So, you know, in this week in my devotion time, uh, I was in First uh, Kings uh, chapter 9. And there's just such a great example there of the Lord uh, being the God of comfort to a man who was seeking comfort in things and people other than himself. It was Elijah, and Elijah had put to test uh, the 400 prophets of Baal who had uh, brought Israel into uh, just terrible bondage and uh, terrible suffering. And there was a three-year drought because of everything uh, these prophets had, had brought uh, the Israel into and, and Elijah put them to test and they failed miserably and then he wound up slaying every single one of them. All 400 of them. So he slays 400 false prophets and, but then Jezebel finds out what happens and she sends a message to him and says to him, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of those prophets by tomorrow about this time. And so uh, he takes off and he freaks out because at this time it's just too much. The battle is just too hard. And he goes out into the wilderness and he, uh, you know the story, he sits down under a broom tree and he prays that he would die. He says to God, it's enough. Now, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. And so you see this wonderful picture of God coming to comfort him. It says the angel of the Lord came to him and touched him. I like that. Touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. It says, And Elijah looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again and fell asleep again. It says the angel of the Lord came to him again. See, God does not give up. He's the God of all comfort. And he came to him and said... Uh, again, arise and eat because the journey is too great. And so he arose and, and he drank. And then he takes off for uh, really in the strength of his own flesh, looking for comfort in, in himself, looking for comfort by getting away. And that's so oftentimes what we do. We, we want comfort, so we just split. We take off. We go to some place away from uh, the, the, the the problem, the difficulty that, that we're in. And he goes for 40 days and 40 nights just with the, with the strength of that, the food that he had had from the angel. And he goes into a cave and he, you know, he spends the night. He's in the middle of uh, the Sinai wilderness. And, and it says the word of the Lord came to him again. You see, he's the God of all comfort and he, he will seek us out. And the angel says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And the angel's looking around, there's like tumbleweeds like blowing across the desert, and there's no one within a thousand miles or whatever, and uh, you know, the sand's just blowing up in whirlwinds. Elijah, what are you doing here? What was he doing there? He was seeking comfort. That's what he was doing. Solitude, that kind of solitude. That kind of solitude. Some solitude is wonderful when it's with the Lord. That kind of solitude is only going to make it worse. He says, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I've been zealous for the Lord of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And me, they seek to take my life. So, The angel doesn't really respond to what he said because what he was saying was not true, but he says, go and stand on the mountain before the Lord. So Elijah went and stood by the mountain of the Lord 
And behold, it says the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks uh, into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. That's not the comfort that the Lord provided. And it says, after that there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. So oftentimes we go out and we try to seek comfort just by shaking up our lives and our own strength. That's not where comfort is found. And it says, after the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire, a still, small voice. And that was the voice of the Lord. That's where the comfort was found. And then once again, he was hearing. He started tuning into the Lord, and the Lord said again, what are you doing here, Elijah? He repeats the same thing. I've been very zealous of the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. The Lord says, listen. Get up. Go, return from where you came from. You're not the only one. There's 7,000 other ones in Israel who are faithful like you. Go about and quit the pity party. Let me be your comfort. And now go in the strength of the Lord. And, and Elijah went. And But notice, though, that the Lord removed everyone who was a source of comfort from his life, to the point where he did not think there was a single person left to go to. There were people out there that may have served as a source of comfort. But God, one of his names, he says he is the God of all comfort. That's, that's his name. And so, brothers and sisters, you will do well to learn in life that many of the afflictions, the sorrow, the temptations of life they are directly from the hand of God. Directly from the hand of God. You know, we have this tendency to blame every conceivable thing upon Satan. Oh, there's a feather that's sticking out of my pillow last night. That's satanic. I rebuke you, pillow, in the name of Jesus. You know, this type of thing. And that, you know, that's how we get. As if, as if the affliction was not from the hand of the Lord. But as we find from Scripture, from the life of Job, even, even when it is from Satan, even when that uh, feather's sticking out of your pillow and jabbing you in, the, in, in your cheek or whatever, the Lord's trying to do something. Maybe it's get up in the night and pray for your wife or your husband or something, but he's trying to do something in uh, your life. And uh, he's the God of all comfort. But that's not the only thing that this chapter teaches about suffering. Verse 6 says, Now if we are afflicted, chapter 1, 2 Corinthians, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation, or again, your comfort. Now this is a really heavy verse. I want to spend some time on this verse this morning because there's so much. I want you to run by this verse. There's so much in this verse to learn about our suffering. But here you see that, and we talked about this last week, that your suffering means someone else's comfort. Your suffering means someone else's comfort. That is, if you handle it in the way that the Lord wants you to. That is, if you... Uh, take the suffering to the Lord, allow God's comfort and love to pour uh, through your life, uh, it will result in someone's uh, comfort. It says here that Paul was afflicted. He was suffered. He was tempted. Why? So that the Corinthians could be comforted. And brothers and sisters, here is where the rubber meets the road in your life with Christ. Affliction, suffering, sorrow, temptation, trials will have one of two effects upon you. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Either you're going to go one way and become one kind of person, or you're going to go another way and, and be another kind of person. You will become one of two kinds of people. Either 
your affliction, your suffering, your sorrow, your temptation, your trials will make you a person filled with bitterness and anger, with a hard heart, or will make you a person who's filled with compassion. Again, your affliction, your suffering, your sorrow, temptation, trials will either make you a person with a hardened heart filled with bitterness and and anger or a person who is filled with compassion. Now, all these verse, this verse ties, all these things in, in, in these verses tie together because listen, which one of those people you become? Whether you become a person filled with bitterness or a person filled with compassion will depend upon who and what you seek in your sorrow, in your pain, in your, in your affliction. If you seek that comfort from anyone other than God, your heart will harden. It will, you'll become a person filled with bitterness and anger. If you seek comfort from God alone, the God of all comfort, not some comfort, but most comfort, the God of all comfort, you will become a person who is filled with compassion. And so Paul had learned the practice of taking his suffering and affliction to God. It says here. And and as a result, he became a man of compassion. That is, a man whose heart broke when he saw others in suffering. And so it says in verse uh, 6, it says, Now if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort. Meaning, God afflicted him, and he afflicts you, and he afflicts me. Why? So that he can work compassion in you. even as you seek comfort from Him alone in your affliction, in your suffering, in your temptation. Now listen, be careful. You need to be careful. So you need to be careful of where you go to, what you do with your affliction and suffering. And I can't possibly overemphasize this point this morning. Man, I could just stand on my head on this one. I wonder if I could stand on my head right there. You guys don't want to see that. That's a bad word picture even to put in your mind. But, but anyway... Um, uh, I can't possibly overemphasize this because, listen, I've met people who have gone through the most terrible suffering in their lives. Blind people. Paralyzed people. People who have gone through just incredible abuse. And they're the meanest, angriest, hardest people. It's impossible to be around them. And I have met people who have been through terrible suffering, people who have been blinded, with people who, who have been paralyzed or, or just terribly abused, and they're among the kindest, most compassionate people I've ever met. And here's where the rubber meets the road. You need to carefully handle that pain, that suffering, that waiting period that you are in, that trial. I don't know about you. I know which person I want to be. So the difference between the two, two sets of people, one group sought comfort in their old own soul, and what did they meet there? They met self-pity there. They met guilt there. They met all kinds of muck and mire there, or they, uh, they sought comfort from others. The problem with seeking comfort in others, it'll always let you down. Their comfort will always fall short. Bitterness and anger set in, and a wicked desire set in as well. Uh, there's a wicked desire to pay back everyone around them for the rest of their life. But uh, that is one group. Uh, uh, the other group, uh, they, turn their, they, they turn to the Lord in their suffering. And just allow him to to pour his comfort and love into them. And in the process, they discovered a secret place. They discover the secret place of, of God. And in that place, in that secret place, God gave them a calling. And I'm going to make you an ambassador of comfort. I'm going to make you a messenger of comfort. I'm going to take this affliction you have that everyone calls a curse and I'm going to make it a blessing to everyone you come into contact with. 
be careful what you do with your suffering. Remember, it, it comes from the hand of God. Now, what comes next in verse 6 is really even more powerful. It says, now, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and what? Salvation. Does that really say what it says? Could it possibly mean what it says? It says, we are afflicted. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort, but not only comfort, it's for your salvation. His suffering, their salvation. So listen, God willing, when pain, suffering, trials, temptation come to your doorstep from Him, you will turn to Him alone for comfort. He will, in turn, uh, he will turn them into a Christ-like compassion in you. And as your compassion works its way out into the lives of your friends, the lives of your family, the lives of uh, your co-workers, the lives of perfect strangers... people will be saved. Anyone here frustrated that not more people, that they don't see more salvations through their life? I've been frustrated about that. The Bible says it is through our affliction as it turns into compassion, the compassion of Jesus that we see people saved through our lives. And we want the easy way. We just want to get in people's face and quote John 3.16 and have a pain-free, bring someone to the Lord experience. It doesn't happen like that. In the life of Paul, you see that very thing, that in Paul, when he showed up Uh, in Corinth a few years before this letter was written. He had been in the fire of suffering and temptation for years. Turn with me to chapter 11. Chapter 11. Verse 24, this is Paul speaking. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. 39 uh, lashes. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I had been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils often, in waters, in perils of waters, in perils of my own countrymen. In perils, that word peril means danger. In, in perils from the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness. And perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. So how did he respond? How did he respond to all that suffering and affliction? Uh, He sought comfort from God alone. God turned all that pain into compassion. How do I know that? Look at the next verse, verse 28. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern or compassion for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble? That word means fall into sin. Fall back into the muck and mire of the world and I do not burn with indignation or burn with sorrow. So I hope everyone is following me on this one. Everyone following me? This is the man that uh, the man described in these verses, verses 28 and 29, these verses we just read, that Paul has become, he had become when he walked into Corinth uh, when there wasn't a single Christian 
in the city. He had nothing to offer them in the flesh. He was not an impressive guy. He stuttered. He uh, was, they believe he was sort of hunched back. That he was an ugly dude. He had some sore in his eye, scholars say, and that was sort of drooling um, out of his eye. And it was just this menace. Uh, but uh, God took that compassion. And it says in Acts chapter 18, within a few months Many, not some, many people were being saved. It was through his affliction that they were saved. Everyone following me on that one? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We with unveiled face behold in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. When people of the world see Jesus... That's when they're saved. And it gotten to the point in Paul's life, he had taken that suffering, he had gone to the Lord for comfort, the Lord had poured that comfort into his love into his life. Who does he look like? Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 12, verse 32, when I, Jesus speaking, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. When the people see Jesus in you, they will be saved. When Paul walked into Corinth, he had been a man uh, who had been through enormous suffering, but the suffering had turned into compassion. As a result, it says in Acts 18, many were saved. But you know something? Paul had only walked in the footsteps of his Lord. What he did was not original. What, What he did was not unique to him. Jesus Christ, with his eyes wide open, walked into the greatest trial of suffering a human being had ever gone through. And what did he do with all that suffering, that affliction, that temptation, that trial? Well, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. This is so important. Hebrews chapter 5. What did Jesus do when he walked into that greatest trial of suffering a human being had ever gone through. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, he's talking about Jesus here, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able uh, to uh, save him from death. So Christ is our example. What did he do in, in, at the time of his extreme tri- uh, trial? It says that uh, he went to his Father, the God of all comfort. It says, with vehement cries and tears, he took his suffering to his Father. That word vehement, it means, it's a Greek word, it means overpowering or superior power, or an overcoming power. His cries had such power, they prevailed with God. Now that is a description of an effectual prayer. An overcoming prayer, it says. A vehement prayer. He overcame his suffering with vehement cries and tears, and his suffering turned to what? It turned to compassion. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Jesus said those words, not because, supremely, not because, well, you know, that's what God's supposed to say, but supremely because he had been also born a man and he had suffered and he, that suffering had turned into compassion. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And though every demon in hell 
was yelling at him to get off the cross. In Matthew, it says that Jesus was on the cross. When he was on the cross, those who passed by blasphemed, wagged their heads, and said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Others said, save yourself if you're the Son of God. Others said, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. He didn't. Why? Because his suffering had turned into compassion. Compassion for you. Compassion for me. Compassion for us who were terribly lost, who were terribly in need of a Savior, addicted to ourselves, uh, on our way to hell. But His compassion intervened. So that's what the cross is all about. It's about suffering. It's with the passion, if you hear about the passion of Christ, it's the suffering of Christ that led to the cross, that resulted in the cross. And, and again, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, what it said, Paul, it says, who is weak and I am not weak? Who falls into, into disobedience and sin and I do not burn with sorrow? Well, let me tell you, there's a greater than Paul who is weak and Jesus is not weak. Who is, falls into sin and, and rebellion and disobedience and Jesus does not burn with sorrow. Uh, there was only one solution for your sorrow and my sorrow, your weakness and my weakness, your disobedience and mine, your road to hell and my road to hell. It was the cross. And, and the cross only happened because Jesus took that pain and suffering and it was turned into compassion. Corinth only happened because Paul followed in the footsteps of his Lord. Do you want more people to be saved through your life? To come into a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, I got to tell you, I want that. I want that. I want that for me. And I want many, many, many more to be saved through my life. And, and, and I know many of you sitting here today, I know that that's the desire of your heart. And, and, but, you, you know, in, in, in Matthew 28, when Jesus sent out his disciples and he said, go there, therefore and make disciples of all nations, let me tell you, that's for you and me too. He's sending us out. The question is, are you, am I, taking what the Lord is putting on our doorstep and turning it into the love of Christ. That's where the rubber meets the road. Are we going like our Lord Jesus and taking that long wait that we're in, that long trial, and is it turning into those vehement cries, those overpowering prayers? Jacob prayed, and he says, the Bible says that uh, Jacob wrestled with God, and he overcame him. And, and that's the same sort of word that's used there with Jesus, he, his overcoming prayer with God. He overcame God in the sense that God granted him his request. He provided the comfort. He provided uh, the, the love. You know, all this is so convicting to my heart. And even as I was studying, just thinking about all the temptation of life that I just... There was suffering there, and I didn't take it to the Lord. It didn't turn into compassion. How are we going to understand others in their temptation unless we take our temptation to the Lord? How are we going to understand them in their suffering, in their pain, in their trial? So he wants to take your trials, your temptations, the afflictions of life, and he wants to produce in you that Christ-like compassion. Why? So that people, not only will they be saved, they will, by the promise of God, they'll be comforted and saved. So then it goes on in verse 6. I haven't quite got out of verse 6 this morning. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. It takes a, a sharp right turn here, changes subjects, which is effective for enduring the same suffering which we also suffer. Let me repeat that. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same suffering which we also suffer. So uh, that's a pretty powerful statement. Paul, Paul is saying that 
his salvation that my uh, rather the salvations of the Christians uh, in Corinth that um, your salvation that my salvation is effective for enduring the same sufferings that he went through. Now, we just read what the sufferings he went through, and there's not a person in this room who's ever gone through a sliver of that. And, and basically, where, what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, there's a lot more from where, where that came from, what Paul had to go through. Paul's saying that our salvation alone, what happened to us when we were born from above by the Holy Spirit is effective to go through the same kind of sufferings uh, that uh, he went through. You know, there's such a tendency to think sometimes that, uh, you know, oh, if I had just this one other thing uh, in my life, if I just had uh, what those other real spiritual Christians have, or that guy speaking from the pulpit has, or, you know, or that one other thing, I could lead a victorious life. Uh, you know, if I just had the, the same amount of the Holy Spirit that he has, or the, sa- the, the, the kind of grace that she has in her life, or that the strength that he, she has, or the power that she has, you know, I, I'd be able to have victory. Well, that's a lie. And we just read here, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, your salvation is effective for enduring the same sufferings that I've been through. Satan keeps people in the bondage of this kind of thinking, though, for years and years. Second Peter, I always come back to this verse in Second Peter of chapter 1 in my own life where I start uh, uh, drowning in a pool of pity uh, thinking that there's not enough, that somehow uh, there is not enough in, in my life. Second uh, Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a life of godliness. Everything we need. Your salvation is effective. The moment that you were saved, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit took occupation of your life and that is effective to endure any kind of suffering and temptation that comes your way. So let's just uh, close now with, uh, move over to uh, 2 Corinthians there chapter, uh, at the end, towards the end of the chapter where it says in verse 20, it says, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, Amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who, ha- who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who also, follow me here, has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a what? As a guarantee. That's not only a guarantee of salvation, by the way. It's a guarantee that you have in your life Everything that is necessary to live a life of godliness, to overcome temptation, to take your suffering and your grief to the Lord so that it turns into comfort, so that people would be comforted, so that people would be saved through your life. It says, all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, meaning so be it, they're done, to the glory of God through us. I want you to, look, to, to miss that last two, those last two words, through us, through you. That's what God wants to do through you. He wants to show the world that every promise that he has given is yes and amen. What a powerful message here that we uh, have just reading through the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Okay, we'll continue on next week. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for... Uh, everything that uh, you've done in our hearts this morning, Lord, I just thank you for, uh, particularly, Lord, for just the message of grace, God, that there is a place, there is a, a place of comfort. You're the God of all comfort. I pray for the grace of everyone in here to go to you, Lord, that their suffering, their temptation, their trial, Lord, will be turned into to that compassion, Lord which will turn into comfort, which will turn into salvations in the lives of the people around them, Lord. I pray that for me and all of us, Father. Father, I just thank you for all your promises, the promise that we just read, Lord God, that our salvation is effective for enduring 
any manner of suffering, any temptation of life, any waiting period, Lord. And Father, I just uh, praise you for Jesus, Lord. The word says that he looked with complete understanding at his trial, Lord, and he walked right into it. All the anguish, all the suffering, all the affliction, Lord. And he did it, Lord, for the joy that was before him, it says in your word. The joy that uh, it was for him to see us saved, to see us established, to see us put upon a rock, Lord. Father, oh, that we would walk in his footsteps, Lord. God, we thank you this morning for the trials, the afflictions, the temptations of life that you put at our doorsteps. They're from you, Lord. We'll just agree and settle that now once for all, Lord. And we thank you for that. And God, we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that even as you turn that, those things into compassion, Lord, that you'll use us, Lord, that you'll use us today, this week, Lord even as we're seeking you, Lord, even as we're seeking you in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, one announcement. Everyone can rise for a closing song of worship. And anyone, remember, who wants to go with us caroling this afternoon to the old folks' homes. Remember, we're meeting at 1 o'clock, Greg? At 1 o'clock. God bless. I think uh, it's just a fitting song for the for the, the message this morning. Blessed be your name, and uh, you can sing out worship to him, even thinking about the trials and the difficulty. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, with streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. See every blessing you pour out, God. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name, my Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And blessed be your glorious name. And blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. When the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. And every blessing you pour out, Turn back to praise And when the darkness closes in, Lord Still I will say This blessed be the name of the Lord This blessed be your name, my Lord And blessed be the name of the Lord And blessed be your glorious name Yes, blessed be the name of the Lord. And blessed be your name, my Lord. Yes, blessed be the name of the Lord. And blessed be your glorious name. We'll see you give and take, God. Just give and take away. Yes, God, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say. Lord, blessed be your name, God, you give, you give and take away, Lord, you give and take away, my heart will choose to sing, Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed
Bless you uh, as you're dismissed. Enjoy your afternoon.